This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Well, as you know, the U.S. government signed a massive stimulus program last week. It included about half a trillion dollars for hard-hit businesses. That was phase three. The government now looking at phase four. Former Labor Secretary and professor at the Goldman School of Public Policy at the University of California, Berkeley, Robert Reich argues that there is no reason to bail out big companies. He also has a new book out, The System, Who Rigged It, How We Fix It. He joins us now uh, on the phone near Berkeley uh, in the Bay Area. So, um, um, Robert, nice to have you here with us. Um, tell us a little bit about your writing uh, and why you think the government shouldn't be bailing out big companies. Well, we need all of the taxpayer money we possibly have right now for individuals. Uh, that bill that was signed into law Friday night, uh, it provides $1,200 per person, uh, just a one-time payment. Now, I don't know how many people listening to this program can get by for very long on $1,200. Uh, the typical American earns about $1,000 a week and has expenditures that are just about that much per week. But $1,200 uh, is not going to extend nearly far enough in this pandemic, which is estimated to be uh, two months, three months, possibly even four months. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we agreed, or at least provided in that bill, for $500 billion of bailouts uh, to very big companies, including airlines and Boeing and a lot of other big companies and industries. Uh, well, the, here's the issue. Uh, I think we should have learned this in the big bank bailout of 2008. Uh, these companies uh, have been in bankruptcy many times before. They know how to use the bankruptcy laws to get uh, to reorganize their debts. It's not as if they have no collateral. They have a lot of assets. I mean, the airlines have planes and landing slots. They're going to be worth a lot once the economy is back on track. Uh, the, uh, the ships, the cruise ships, uh, the hotel industry, I mean, you talk about assets. Uh, these organizations, these corporations have uh, very, very large assets, uh, and yet individuals have a great need right now. So I'd say rather than bail out companies, let's bail out people. If there is going to be a fourth uh, co- uh, coronavirus uh, relief bill coming up, and it looks like there will be, mm-hmm. let's focus it on people rather than on corporations. Well, and I want to talk to you about that fourth bill because it's going to include some infrastructure. I really want to get your thoughts on that, Bob. But before we get to that, I I do want to ask you, because I think this speaks exactly to what you write about in your book. I mean, clearly part of what's going on here is the system is set up to do exactly uh, what you described as the wrong thing in many ways, which is companies have an inordinate amount of power and influence in Washington to get that half a trillion dollars, right? Exactly. And that's, that's the problem. Now, you would have thought in times of national disaster, emergency, uh, certainly in wartime, uh, all of those old power relationships are suspended. And companies understand, and the government understands, that we've got to make uh, the first priority human beings and safety. Uh, but this time around, uh, we didn't quite get there. Now, there are some things in the bill that are good. Uh, unemployment insurance, $600 over and above the unemployment people are eligible for. Uh, that's a step in the right direction. But if, if there is a fourth bill, uh, let's just not uh, worry about big companies. Uh, let's worry about small businesses and individuals and families. They're the ones that need the help. 
Well, and you know what's interesting? Because we've been having this conversation, um, Bob, with a lot of our guests here. And and some say, well, you can't let these companies go down. You know, they this is, who could have guessed this black swan, right? Nobody could have been prepared for it. I mean, what do you say to them? And, 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 and these folks will also say, you know, these companies employ a lot of workers. So by taking care of these companies, we're taking care of the workers. Um, what's your response? Well, the companies are laying off workers right and left. In fact, this week... Uh, big companies are laying off probably several million additional American workers, in addition to those who were laid off last week and the week before. Uh, so what is the point of uh, taking care of big companies that will exist? I mean, these companies, United Airlines isn't going anywhere. American Airlines isn't going anywhere. These companies, uh, three or four or five months from now, are still going to be there. Uh, it's the height of folly to think that these companies can't take care of themselves. Uh, and again, just if we're talking about the airlines, every major airline has gone through bankruptcy over the past 20 years at least once in order to rearrange its debts. And its creditors know how they do it, and its creditors are willing to let them do it because of all the assets they have. Uh, these companies are contracted. They're a bunch of contracts. Uh, they are a bunch of uh, executives, top executives, and they are some big investors. Uh, but none of those uh, requires or deserves a bailout, particularly at a time when so many individuals and so many families are being such are being hit hard hit, uh, so hard hit. Uh, this is a health emergency. Uh, not only do we want to get income income support to people and families, we want to get uh, health care support to people and families uh, who need it. Uh, and we ought, to, we ought to do it immediately. Well, let's continue our conversation with former Secretary of Labor Robert Reich. He's also a professor now at the Goldman School of Public Policy at the University of California, Berkeley, joining us from the Bay Area. So, Bob, I want to pick up where we left off, you know, sort of talking about maybe the state of the worker uh, and labor here in the United States right now. How much do you worry about the essentially sort of fracturing of the healthcare care uh, system, you know, based on the stresses uh, that you're seeing there? Well, I'm very worried about it, as we all should be, because all the reports we're getting from all over the country is that our health care system is already at capacity, if not over capacity. In places like New York, uh, we're finding hospitals just can't deal with all of the people who need uh, desperately uh, need help, uh, ventilators and ICUs uh, and even uh, people inside the hospital, nurses, orderlies, mm-hmm. ho- doctors that can't find the protective equipment that they need. Uh, we'll find that the entire uh, health care system is flooded uh, to way, way beyond its capacity within the next two or three weeks. I think the big question for the future is whether, having experienced all this, Americans change their minds about whether health care ought to be uh, organized, as right. it now is, largely uh, as a for-profit uh, corporate venture, or whether we do need to think about a different kind of health care system. Well, and that's what I, w- I was curious about, you know, what, what you see how the coronavirus pandemic will ultimately change our world, you know, you know, how, you know, once we get emerged from the immediate crisis, what's the most important, in your view, underappreciated way that the world um, will be different? Well, if you look at how wars uh, have changed public attitudes in the United States, and I'm thinking particularly of the Second World War, uh, America was able to accept 
certain kinds of changes uh, that really the the country didn't want to accept before. Look out, and, and that's true also of the Great Depression. Uh, it's because of the Great Depression that we were able to uh, institutionalize Social Security, something that we uh, would not have, have have had the political and social capacity for accepting. Uh, the same thing with Medicare after the uh, Second World War. In 1965, uh, Medicare uh, was, again, something that, although it's very popular now, as is Social Security, at that time, uh, we accepted it because we felt like we were all in this together. We had emerged from not only the World War II, but also the Korean War and the Cold War. We were still in the Cold War. We were all in it together. Uh, I think that after this pandemic, it is possible. Now, I'm, I hope I'm not looking at it through two rosy-colored glasses, but I think it is possible that we may understand that at least with regard to minimum safety nets and minimum health care, uh, we need to do much more for our country and, uh, and each other than we are doing now. We can't ever afford uh, to find ourselves so unprepared and so uh, with so lacking in the basics. The richest country in the world uh, can't even uh, pay, make sure that all of its people are safe. Uh, that makes no sense. And will this, Bob, do you think in the short term or if there is a different administration come next January, will it change the way certain governmental entities, including maybe the one that that you oversaw, will it change the way they operate given what we've seen in this crisis? Well, let me say this. I, I, it's hard to know, obviously, sure. what, what's going to change and what's not going to change. But I think Americans as a whole are gaining a deeper appreciation of how important government is. Yeah. And when government does not really function as it should, uh, most of the time, for most of us, it's just an irritation. Now it's a matter of life and death. And I think that changes the calculation. It changes the stakes. And people emerging, Americans emerging from this may say, we may say to ourselves, now again, there's no guarantee, but we may say to ourselves, you know, we really do have to have a government that works well, that functions well. We cannot have leadership and people in responsible positions that don't know what they're doing. We've got to have a public health system that is uh, the best in the world. Why not? Bob, I want to ask you about the book that you wrote, The System, Who Rigged It, How We Fix It, and you do really get into um, the injustices that have been created, um, you know, in terms of wealth, in terms of power, uh, and how so many Americans have lost confidence in our political and economic system. When did wealth become such a flashpoint? I mean, you know, my dad was first generation here. You know, his parents came over from Europe, um, you know, know, creating a better life for subsequent generations. It was attainable. It was possible. And creating wealth for your family was, you know, looked at highly. Something happened and broke down in our system, I feel like. Well, well, uh, several things and very big things happened. I mean, for four decades after the Second World War, uh, the middle class continued to grow and wages for most people continued to increase. Uh, But then, starting in the 1980s, wages stagnated for most people, and although the economy continued to grow, it didn't go into most people's pocketbooks. Uh, It went increasingly into the the pockets of the people at the top, Uh, and that's where wealth went, and that's the sense of rigging that people have, because a lot of that wealth uh, went, in turn, into politics, into influence peddling, into lobbying. Uh, It wasn't until 2008, really, and the explosion of Wall Street 
that many people uh, kind of opened their eyes and said, wait a minute, this, this system is corrupt. Uh, Wall Street got us into this problem. Wall Street got bailed out. Uh, no big Wall Street executive went to jail, and yet I have lost my home or my job or my savings. Uh, this is fundamentally unfair. I, 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 don't, I don't want this anymore. I, I am, I'm outraged about this. Uh, and we saw both on the left and the right. Uh, you know, in, on the right, it was the Tea Party movement. On the left, the so-called Occupy movement. Uh, we saw in 2016, I mean, look, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders came out of nowhere. Right. Uh, they were not politicians. They were anti-establishment politicians. Right. And, uh, and, and I think that feeling is still very much there. Uh, there's no reason why the wealthy and the powerful should be uh, kind of behind the scenes doing as well as they are, particularly now in a national emergency. Well, and that's where I want to end. We've only got about a minute left, Bob, but help help us synthesize what we're going through now with the financial crisis and what it may mean sort of all stirred up together. Well, I think what it means is that uh, Americans are more sensitive than ever before to the inequities in our system. Uh, the fact that, for example, the biggest corporations are exempt from paid sick leave provisions in the second yeah. corona, coronavirus bill, or that you have uh, a slush fund of $500 billion that the president doesn't even want an independent special uh, kind of uh, attorney general or investi- investigative uh, uh, presence in the White House able to oversee what he and Steve Mnuchin are doing, uh, or that you've got a huge break for real estate investors in the coronavirus package, $170 billion worth that's hidden uh, in the small print. Well, people are finding out about these things, and it's not the, the reaction in most times would be a kind of shrug of, right. of cynicism. But now I think people are angry, and they're going to be angrier when they find out uh, more about where all of this money went. All right. What a treat for us. Thank you so much. Robert Reich is former Secretary of Labor. His book, The System, Who Rigged It, How We Fix It, pick it up. He's a provocative guy. He's got some big ideas. We really, really appreciate his time with us.